and a very warm welcome to everyone here again, anyone watching upstairs in the atrium, and also welcome to our brothers and sisters watching on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and listening on podcast. It's great to have you join us, and we appreciate it a lot. If you've just come in here and you're new here, as some people are, and you're going, what kind of a weird religion is this? You have to leave your shoes up here. Well, no you don't. This is just something we're doing today. We've done it a few times in the past. We call today Empty Shoe Sunday. An Empty Shoe Sunday is simply where we use the shoes as a symbol for that person that we're praying for. Praying that they'd come to know Jesus. Praying that God would heal them. Praying that God would break into their lives. And I've bought a pair of shoes, there's someone here. A lot of these shoes were left by the people at the 10 o'clock service, but these are the pair of shoes I bought and they're representing somebody I love and I care for. So we will be calling people to come up with their shoes uh, just at the end, in about a half an hour, just under. Uh, but if you bought them up already, that's fine as well. Um, why are we doing this? Well, I've visited different homes where people have died and you would see an empty chair where they used to sit. You'd see their coat hanging on the coat hanger, an empty coat. And very often you'd see a pair of empty shoes. And a number of years ago, I think it was in Budapest in Hungary, um, Denise and I were walking by the river and there were sculptures, I suppose you'd call them, of bronze shoes all along the river. Men's, women's, children's, that represented the Jewish people of that city who were kidnapped and sent to their death in the death camps during World War II by the Nazis. And I kept being struck really by the fact that these symbols are mourning, they're sad. But you know what? The God I know is a God of hope. Amen. And the God I know is a God of life. Yes. And today I am praying that God will bring spiritual life to the person I'm praying for. And so we want to take that image and that symbolism and use it to help us. Remember, every month we take bread and wine here, it's a symbol, body, blood, it reminds us. When we baptize people twice a year, going under the water in our courtyard by full immersion, it's a symbol, the old person has been buried, a new person comes up. It's the same with the anointing of oil or washing of feet and all of these things, they're symbols. So we're just taking that symbol and that's what we're doing today. I'm going to be looking at Mark chapter 7. This is uh, an example of someone like you who, who's coming to Jesus for someone they love, for someone they care for. And the context of this is interesting because Jesus goes beyond Israel and he goes into what even today is another country. And back then, uh, it, it, today it's Lebanon. And he goes to a place called Tyre, T-Y-R-E, Tyre and Sidon. You may know it because last year it was in the news a lot here when one of the soldiers from the Irish Defence Forces was shot dead by Hezbollah, the Islamic um, militant group. 
and he was shot dead and one of his comrades in arms, a guy from East Cork from Killa, was wounded, badly wounded. And that happened in Tyre, in southern Lebanon. So it's a very, um, it's a place that is very much to the fore in a lot of Irish people's minds. And what we're about to read isn't a fairy tale, it's a historical fact. So Jesus is going into this area and he meets someone. And I pray, Jesus, your word will come alive in our minds and in our hearts. Whatever is of me, let it be forgotten. Whatever comes from you, let it remain forever in our hearts and minds. Let your word breathe and be alive here now. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So Mark chapter 7, if you're listening on podcast, we're looking basically at verses 24 to 30. Jesus traveled north, going to the region of Tyre, and he went to a house, but didn't want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. And immediately, a Greek woman, whose daughter had an unclean spirit, heard about Jesus, and she came in and she fell at his feet. She begged him to set her daughter free. Let the children be fed first. It's not right to take their food and feed it to the little dogs, Jesus replied. But she answered Jesus saying, yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then Jesus said to her, because you have said this word, your daughter has been set free and you can go and see her free now. And when she went home, she found the demon was gone from the child forever. Hallelujah. This is a wonderful scripture. It's powerful. But if you don't, and if we don't fully know the cultural context, it can be a bit difficult to understand. I'm here today to pray for someone I love who isn't here and I am praying that God will bring them through. And for everyone we pray for, I'm going to pick up a random pair of shoes here. I don't know who these shoes represent, but think of this lady, think of her family, think of her friends, think of her future life, what we often call the trajectory of her future life. If she has children, if Jesus Christ comes into that house, he delivers, he sets free, hallelujah. The amount of studies done by the top universities, universities all over the world tell us the same thing. That when people become Christians, their future changes. Usually people in a lot of debt will stop gambling. They turn from addictions or bad choices in life and when you look at the generations that follow you see a whole different outcome and people who come to faith usually as a general rule tend to live that bit longer hallelujah so we're praying to the future and we're praying for the good today the context of what was happening here was that Jesus went beyond the border he still goes beyond borders we'll say amen, amen. 
Jesus was in what we now know as Israel, the Jewish area. That's where he was called. But despite the religious tradition of the day, where a religious Jew would never go into a non-Jewish area, unless he absolutely had to, Jesus chose to go to an unclean place where they were eating rashers and sausages all over the place. And to the Jew, that was terrible. Not only does he go into Jewish area or a non-Jewish area or a Gentile as it's called, he goes into a Gentile home. It's unclean. If they heard about it in the synagogue, they'd have thrown him out. But Jesus cares about the person. He doesn't care about those kind of rules. And just before this, in the Galilee, which is northern Israel, Jesus was talking to his disciples and he was saying, guys, it's not what goes in that makes you unclean, it's what comes out. Because the Jews said you don't eat pig and you don't eat this. And for example, um, I was reading about a new Jewish restaurant in Dublin that is kosher, the first one opening in years. And they followed the Jewish dietary rules. And with the greatest of respect, a lot of those rules come from very obscure things. Like there's a half a sentence alone in the Old Testament. And it says, you shall not boil a kid in its mother's milk. That's a goat. A small goat. You know, like the goat curry Michael uh, ate. (laughs) He broke the Jewish rules. Was the goat curry kosher? (laughs) But just from that one little half a sentence, if you go to that Jewish restaurant, you go to a Jewish home, you'll see that dairy products and meat are kept separate. So you got two sinks, you have two ovens, you have two preparation areas, and so on and so on. It's incredible, the rules they had. And Jesus said to the guys, it's not what you eat that makes you unclean, it's what you say, it's your attitude. If your heart is full of hate and you're coming out with hateful words, that makes you and me unclean. If your heart is full of judgment and that comes out, that makes us unclean. And so Jesus, the revolutionary, turns all of this kind of thinking upside down. No wonder the Jewish power and authority hated him. So it's in that context, for an unknown reason, Jesus strangely goes beyond the border. And we're not told why. All we know is only one thing happened there before he came back down to Galilee. It's fair to assume Jesus knew what was going to happen. We're told he went to a house he didn't want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. Mark 7, 24. You see, when Jesus is moving in your life, you can't hide it. Hallelujah. How often in non-Christian situations, I've met someone and just from the smell of them almost, I go, they're a Christian. Remember the first time it happened, we were only newly married. It was 1982. We moved into our house out in Pambury Orchard between Toker and Wilton. And as I used to walk to work every day, sometimes I'd see a lady, she was in her 40s, she might be in the garden or whatever, but there was something about her and she would say hello and she'd smile. I remember saying to Denise, there's something about her that tells me she's a Christian. And guess what she was? She was, she was a Catholic, charismatic, born again believer. She was reading the Bible, meeting with her friends, saying, how can we get closer to Jesus? It was fantastic. But you can't hide when Jesus is doing something in your life. Because
because it shines through. You know why it shines through? Because it's life-giving. It's life-giving. It is so attractive. The Bible talks about that we bring something of the aroma of heaven with us. And you might go, but I'm broken. I'm not in a great place. I know, but Jesus isn't broken. He died for you and for me. And if he's in you, you bring that with you. So he couldn't be hidden and straight away word got out around the town of Tyre and we're told immediately, in other words, straight away, a Greek or Syrophoenician woman whose daughter had an unclean spirit heard about Jesus and came in. Some of you are here today for the first time because someone told you about Jesus. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, last Sunday, we had empty shoe, or sorry, we had take off your shoes, holy ground. We took off our shoes and we prayed over the past week that God would help us for today. And we took off our shoes like Moses did when he was in God's presence. And we wanted to do that to honor God. Just something that's prophetically with me. Last Sunday, we were looking at how God called Moses twice. He said, Moses, Moses. Like he said, Abraham, Abraham, Saul, Saul, Simon, Simon, Matthew, Matthew. Afterwards, someone who had come to faith a number of years back from our empty shoe Sunday was basically in effect saying, that was me because I came to faith, but then I lost my way. And recently I came back to God. And when I heard that, I knew God was saying, I've called you again. Can I say to you, if you heard God calling you before and you lost your way, you're in the right place. Tom, Tom, Michael, Michael, Will, Will, whatever your name is, he can call us a second time. Hallelujah. And and this lady comes in and, and here's the thing. She had no background. She knew nothing. Nothing. I remember when I became a born-again Christian at the age of 19 and my mum and dad were grand and we had kind of your regular background. But I met people who grew up where they'd read the Bible every night and they knew so much about the Bible. And I felt like a nothing because they had so much knowledge and I, I knew nothing, only that Jesus loved me. That's as much as I knew. This woman knew nothing. She wasn't Jewish, she was a woman, which made it even more complicated back then, and she came in with nothing. You know, she probably just lived down the street. You can't immediately go to a house unless you're living nearby. So she runs up the street and she has in effect a two minute conversation with Jesus. And everything changes, everything changes. She fell at his feet and she begged him to set her daughter free. I have a question. Do you think there was a lot of other people in this town of Tyre who were sick? Is that a fair assumption? Remember there was no hospitals, there was almost no healthcare. Do you think there were other people who maybe were suffering with mental health, yeah? And with spiritual issues like this girl, So there were so many people in that town. I don't know the population, but I'm sure there were hundreds. And yet only one was healed. Why? Because one woman went further. One woman 
took a step of faith. I mean, it must have been very intimidating. She knew the way the Jews were. I was talking to someone on Thursday. They've just come back from Jerusalem. And they were telling me they went to a place called Mia Sharam. It's a, a whole area of Jerusalem where the ultra-Orthodox Jews live. You know, the guys with the David curl and the big black hats and all of that. And all the married women have to wear a wig or a scarf to cover their heads and so on. But they went to that area. They're obviously not Jews. Jews, and the people there in Hebrew, because the guy knows a bit, were calling them dogs. Yeah. So get out, you dog. They call me a dog, or you a dog. So this woman knew, number one, she wasn't Jewish, and number two, she was a woman. The genders were very seriously separated, particularly with the Jews. But her daughter was healed. Her daughter was set free because she had a little bit of courage. She had a little bit of boldness. She was willing to take the extra step. Are you? Do you know, if you're willing to bring a pair of shoes in here today, that's an extra step. That's saying to God, I am doing what I can. And it begins here or it continues here today. The woman's daughter was set free because she was in that place. We were looking at the Hapus Nine meeting this morning about David and Goliath. And, you know, David said, I'm going to cut your head off, giant. It's lovely, isn't it? Oh, I love that church. Oh, they say, I'm going to cut off your head. He said to Goliath, I'm going to cut off your head. Why? Because the battle belongs to the Lord. This guy was killing God's people. He was destroying what God was doing. And God raised David up. And so in the same way as David, as a 16 or 17 year old young fella, had the courage to do it. So this woman, partly out of desperation, but she had courage to go the extra mile. If you've come in here this morning for the first time, it took you courage to come in. I have huge respect for that. If you have huge respect for someone who came in for the first time, would you join me and let's give them a round of applause? It's not easy. You don't know what you're coming into. That woman didn't really know what she was coming into, but she knew Jesus had the answer. Hallelujah. And after she asked Jesus, look at what he said, let the children eat first. It's not right to take their food and feed it to the little dogs. Now the woman's appeal had a beautiful combination. It was humility marked with great faith. That courage was great faith. Sometimes you see people with loads of humility and they have no faith. It's actually pathetic at times. Other times you see people with loads of faith, but there's no humility. And those guys can be hard to take. But if you get that balance right, humility and faith, that's something wonderful. That's something powerful. And it's something that we need to see in our own lives as well. And here we see Jesus saying, it's not right to take their food and feed it to the little dogs. So the Jews used to call the non-Jews dogs. She knew that. She was probably called a dog a lot of time. And what is Jesus doing here? He's not calling her a dog. Jesus doesn't go down that road of being derogatory and cruel. He's reminding her of the situation because Jesus wasn't called to come to the Gentiles. That was going to happen in about another two to three years. But he calls it little dogs. He takes the whole sting out of it. 
You know, if the Holy Spirit is speaking through a person or through God, it will always build you up. It won't tear you down. Yes, sometimes we need to be reminded that we're doing wrong. I don't mean that. But it'll never take away your dignity. I have seen people take away other people's dignity. Horror of horrors. I've seen a few Christians shatter people's confidence and take away their dignity. That's not the Holy Spirit. Because the God I know builds us up. He challenges us where we're wrong, but he builds us up. So Jesus doesn't call her a dog. That word little changes it all. But it still reminds her. Why did Jesus say that? Well, I think perhaps he was testing her. Because he didn't come for any other reason. Nothing else happened, just this incident. Jesus knew her daughter was going to be set free, but he's testing her. He's drawing out of her where her heart is. Sometimes God tests us, doesn't he? Now, you know she wasn't Irish. Absolutely. Why? Because she responded. Yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the children's crumbs under the table. You see, an Irish person would probably go, Oh, Jesus, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have bothered you. No, no, forget about my daughter. She'll die. She'll be fine. No, 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 I don't want to cause any issues. That, that's the Irish response. That's their education system here. Kind of know your place. Don't ever push. Save face. Always save face. Don't ever say something that might cause offence. Well, you know what? That's stupid. Sometimes it's stupid. And this woman, hallelujah, didn't take no for an answer. Can I say to some, and maybe this is prophetic, you've prayed nothing has happened and you've given up. And God is saying, come again. He's the God who calls the name a second time. He can't be hidden. She responded. And she responded in humility and with respect, but with great faith. She knew Jesus had the answer. And even if it was a crumb, she knew a crumb from Jesus is better than a feast from a man. Hallelujah. Praise God. We will take any crumb God has for us. But you know he gives us more than a crumb. He said, I've come to give you life and life in abundance. To quote the cheesy old saying, it's not just pie in the sky when we die. It's steak on the plate while we wait. Hallelujah. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places, the psalmist wrote. So her response was wonderful. May God give you and me a heart like this. She knew she didn't deserve anything. She knew she was stepping beyond what was the social norm. But Jesus doesn't care about social norms. Sometimes it does my head in. Now, with respect, I don't want to offend anyone. I was watching or listening. I wasn't watching, actually. I was listening to something on the radio about the king in England, his coronation. And with all due respect, it's like, it's not my good. And and it was all kind of, you must step forward, you must step back. And I just, you know, grand, whatever. There's nothing wrong with it, I'm sure. But Jesus wasn't interested in social etiquette. He was interested in human beings, in their hearts, in their minds, in their lives, in your heart, in my heart, in the heart of all these people already represented here and loads of other empty shoes in the hall. 
That's what he cares about. I lift my hands in worship because the Bible encourages me to do it, but I can lift my hands up high and have a rotten heart. You see, God is more interested in the heart. Hallelujah. Still good to do that, but it's great to do it with a good heart, and we do it like that. So here what we see is the woman saying, and she comes back, and she doesn't take no for an answer. So it is humility coupled with faith. I like what Harry Ironside, a famous theologian and pastor in the 1940s, he said, nothing appeals to our blessed Lord more than faith coupled or joined with humility. It's the twin heartbeat of successful prayer. It's like when I got married and when we had, were having kids, I read and read and read so much about as a dad and as a husband, I'm called to have silk and steel. It's to have a softness, but also to have a strength. And it's no good to be all silk, because it's kind of watery. And it's no good to just have all steel, you'll kill everyone. You need to have both, there's a time and a place. Anyone say amen? amen. Any of the women say amen? Yes. You want your men strong, don't you? Yes. No, I want to be the strong one. No, your husband has to be strong too. Hallelujah. Okay, moving on, moving on. How does Jesus respond to this woman? Where was the father? Where was the husband? Was he watching the football? I don't know. But he wasn't the one doing the extra travel. Do you know if you come from a home and your husband isn't interested in going the extra mile spiritually, sister, you go the extra mile. Don't be waiting for someone to wake up. You go the extra mile. I want the men to say hallelujah. Ah, for goodness sake, the men, the brothers with a deep voice, say hallelujah. Did you hear that girls? She went further. No, maybe there wasn't a dad around. Maybe he'd wandered off. Anyway, shame on him. God bless that woman. Because she went the whole way. And what happened? Jesus says, because you, woman, woman, non-Jew, non-Jew, who came into this house uninvited, who didn't react when I was talking about dogs. Can you imagine? I can think of people. I can think of myself. Jesus said, little dog, who are you calling a dog? How dare you? I mean, you and I can take that attitude and sit in our ivory tower. And you know what? You can die up there. Or you can do a little bit of prayer and see Jesus change you and change your family. Hallelujah. There's no place for pride in the kingdom of God. Amen. Hallelujah. Because you, lady, have said this word. Your daughter has been. You see, it already happened immediately. There was no intercession for nine years. Sometimes there is. But sometimes God moves miraculously and suddenly. Don't box God in. Don't think an answer to prayer is more of a miracle because you spent years praying. Sometimes God in his mercy will do it straight away. Both are miracles. Both give glory to God. God forbid we get a pride. Because there is a pride. There's a spiritual pride of people who say, well, I've prayed for it for many years. Shame on you. God is the one who heals. Not us. Amen. Praise God. 
And he said, you can go and see her free now. Imagine if we walk out of here today and we go to our loved ones and already God has done something. Do you think he's able? Because I believe he's able. Because I have seen so many people. This hall is full. This congregation, this church is so full of people. And so many said, Asha, there's no hope there. There's no hope. Don't mind him. Don't mind her. There's no hope there. Oh, yes, there is. The God I know is the God of hope. Have you given up on yourself? Maybe God is challenging you. I've given up on myself. I've struggled with that all the time. Nothing is happening. Oh, God hasn't written the last chapter of your life or my life yet. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Go and see the freedom. No. Hallelujah. There are times and there are seasons. We buried our beloved brother Hugh Looney on Thursday. And as I stood by the grave, I read the beautiful scripture, Ecclesiastes 3. There's a time to be born and a time to die. And God very much moves in seasons, but sometimes he goes beyond the season. Hezekiah. God told the prophet Isaiah, go tell Hezekiah, get your house in order, you're going to die. And the prophet walked out. And Hezekiah turned to the wall on his bed. He couldn't even get up, the poor man. And he started crying. And he said, oh God, not now. And Isaiah the prophet wasn't across the courtyard when God said, go back and tell him I've changed my mind. I'm going beyond the season. You're going to live way longer. Hallelujah. This is the God of the Bible. Yes, there are times and seasons, but sometimes he breaks that for his glory and for his purpose. And this young girl was set free, though it wasn't her time. I'm trying to stir up a little bit of faith in everyone so that we're not cowed under like a slave by a time and a season because God is beyond time. Hallelujah. If we look at her prayer, maybe like ours today, her prayer was short, it was humble, it was full of faith, it was passionate, it was rational, it was respectful, and it was perseverant. She didn't just give up when there's a little bit of opposition like some of us give up. If you faint in the day of trouble, oh, how weak is your strength. But by our God, we can be strong. Here's another woman. Rahab, who tied a red ribbon, I call her the lady in red, tied a red ribbon on her window on the wall of the city of Jericho. And we looked at this a little last week. And her whole family were set free. Even though death came to everyone else, her family had life. Why? Because she went the extra mile. She didn't just stay home. (laughs) She went the extra mile. She hid the spies. She could have hidden the spies, if you know the story, and she could have said nothing and been very polite, really, but she said, I'm asking you, when you invade this city, would you spare me and my family? They said, yes, we will. Yes, we will. But what we want is for all of you to be in this room. you got to be in the house. Hallelujah. You have to be in the house for salvation to happen. We gotta be where Jesus is. That woman went to the house. 
Her family came into the house in the wall and they hung the red ribbon, so symbolic, speaking of the blood of Jesus to come. And all of the family were saved and everyone else in the city died. And she became an ancestor of Jesus Christ. And it all began with one woman who wouldn't take no for an answer and who went that bit further had faith and had humility. Let me round up. Praying for others. A father prayed for his daughter. He came to Jesus, Mark 5, Jairus and his daughter who was dying. We have a work situation. Maybe you're praying for someone in work where the centurion, the boss, was praying for a servant he respected and loved who was sick. And you can see that in Matthew 8. What about the friends who bought their friend to be healed on a stretcher and they couldn't get in sometimes it's like that here did they go oh no can't get into the meeting let's go home and feel sad they went up on the roof and they dug a hole are you a hole digger are you going to dig a hole in the roof i challenge you because that's what we see god rewards in the scripture the kingdom of god advances forcefully and forceful men and women advance it. Oh, that's not very nice. That's the kingdom of God. Have fire in your belly. Have respect. Have humility. But have faith as well. Have faith as well. And so they dug the hole and they lowered their friend down. And what did Jesus say? How dare you dig a hole in the roof? The decor is destroyed. He healed him. Hallelujah. Or what about in the church? Darkest had died. But the people in the church knew. The last chapter isn't written. Hang on a while, she's dead? No, she was risen to life again. Hallelujah. So whatever your situation, whatever your prayer is, today we're going to pray for the people you love. I feel prophetically God is saying something. And this is the prophetic word I have as I close. The Samaritans were neither Jews nor, nor Gentiles. I've had this image in my head of um, an island. When we went, Denise and I went to visit Le Mont Saint-Michel in, in northern France. Fantastic, beautiful place. But when the tide is in, it's an island. When the tide is out, it's not an island. It was neither here nor there. And the Samaritans were like that. They believed some of the Jewish scriptures, but they were messed up on the others. And you know what? God raised up men and women to bring the gospel to the Samaritans. And ever before even the Gentiles had it, they had it. And we read about Philip and others who did it. And we're told, for example, in Acts 8, let me read it, just a, a reference to it here. We're told, Philip went in, he preached the gospel, crowds listened, they saw, they saw deliverance, they saw healing, and loud shouts of great rejoicing were heard in the Samaritan city. The Samaritans, they weren't even told it was their time. But Philip took a step of faith, and God is saying to some here, you're Philip, or if you're a woman, we'll call you Philippa, if you're sensitive about it. Have faith, even though you're saying this isn't a great time. Do you know what? The devil will always give us an excuse that it's not a great time. Ah, he's doing his exams. 
Let God save him in his exams. Ah, well, he's very busy at work. Ah, well, she's struggling with her marriage. This is the day of salvation. This is the time of deliverance. This is the season of healing. Hallelujah. Look, I am nothing, but he is everything. So why don't we pray for the person we love? Band, will you come up, guys? We're going to sing a song called, For God So Loved the World. Michael often says, that's you and me, by the way. It's human individuals. You can put the name in there. He gave his only son. So we're going to give that opportunity, and then we're going to pray for the people or that person that God has put on our hearts. What we're going to ask you to do is come up with the pair of shoes you've bought in. If you didn't bring a pair of shoes, there's no judgment, there's no hassle. We're not like that. If you came and you already put the shoes, you can just come up anyway if you put the shoes up here at the start. Do you know what we're going to do? You can take them away afterwards, but we're going to leave them here for a week. And next Sunday when you come in, you'll see these shoes here. But now we're going to pray for someone else, and that is the person that God has put on your heart, represented by an empty pair of shoes. If you've bought a pair of shoes with you, or if you've already put them up here, or even if you forgot to bring them and you want to pray for someone, I'm going to ask you to leave your seat and come up to the top, because we're going to pray like that woman and ask God to rescue the person we love.